Hello there. You're very welcome to At Home with Breffney, a show that's designed to help you if you're looking to buy property in Ireland. I'm a licensed buyer's agent and work with clients who are too far away or simply too busy to get a property bought. I also offer one hour property coaching calls, which you can book by clicking the link in the show notes below. These calls help my clients get clarity and focus, whatever their property issue is. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoy today's show and find it useful. Hello there and welcome to episode 47 of At Home with Breffney. If you're thinking about property, you're in the right place. In each episode of this podcast, we focus on one of four property related topics. Buying property, making money from property, creating beautiful interiors and the business of being an estate agent. This week, I'm really excited to be joined by Joe Doyle of joedoyle.ie, and that's Joe with an E at the end of it. Joe's a property investor and also runs a thriving, well, what seems to be a thriving coaching practice where he coaches tradespeople on how to build profitable businesses. So today's conversation, I think, is going to be useful to anyone who's got a project in their mind that's been going around and they just want to get it done. Because, Joe, I think, if nothing else, you are certainly an effective person. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a master at getting things done. Yeah. So where did that start? Where, where did, how did you know that you, were, you could trust yourself to get things done? What age were you when you realized that you thought, right, I actually get stuff done. Other people think about it, but I can trust myself to get things done. Oh, my God. That, that is a world-class question there, Brefney. Um <laughs> Because, you know, I've been me for as long as I can remember, if that makes sense, you yeah. know. So yeah. it's... it's um, but you probably figured out that you were different to your friends. You might have had friends who said they're going to do stuff, but then you might have noticed that actually I'm the one who's doing the stuff. They're not. Yeah, yeah, I, I do notice that um, most people say that they're going to do a lot more than what they actually do. Yeah. Um, and so, that doesn't really, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You've actually, would you believe it for once now, I'm, I'm stuck for words, but I've always been, enough, I've enough. always been, I've always been a doer. Um, yeah. I did, I did learn um, very quickly that, I had a real knack for, for business and I had a real knack for um, being able to identify issues in different businesses. Um, I, yeah. I, I learned that when I actually left my construction business. That's what, yeah. and which was only in the last couple of years. Yeah. So, Joe, will you just take us back to, for, you, you didn't start as a property investor. No. You started as? A bricklayer. Right. As a bricklayer. Okay, so what brought you into that? Was that in the family? Uh, what brought me into being a bricklayer was my dad was a bricklayer and I just left right. school and went to work with him. Did you finish school out of interest? Uh, junior cert. Left school after, junior the, cert, yeah. after the junior cert. Um, yeah. Young enough, you know. Um, that might have felt brave, did it? Or did it feel like you were going with the flow at the time? Or yeah, did well, you feel like you were doing something? Oh yeah, The minimum qualification to be a, mm-hmm. a bricklayer was you needed to have a junior cert. Right. So I pretty much had my apprenticeship waiting for me. The junior cert was purely a formality. I just needed to, to get it out of the way. Um, so yeah. once I left, once I got that done, I was, I don't know whatever age it was when you finished your junior cert, you know. Um, yeah, 15, 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just jumped into it straight out. I know it wasn't 16 because I couldn't start my apprenticeship where I had to be 16. You have to be 16 with a junior cert. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had mm-hmm. to wait a bit of time before I could actually... Uh, 
formally register, you know. But I was work I was always yeah. working all, all the time. I I did I do have to thank my father for the the ingraining a work ethic into me, you know, for sure, you know, because as I was a kid yeah. you went to school and if you weren't in in school you went to work and it wasn't really wasn't really up for negotiation, you know. It wasn't by yeah. choice, you just you just done that, you know. Yeah, there was A or B. There wasn't a dossing. That was yeah, yeah. There was no, there was no such thing as a lion. Yeah. Okay, so that's already that's in your family culture. Working yeah. hard, it yeah. is there already. So that's a gift. That's a good building block to start with for yes for your bricklaying to, to apprenticeship. Build an, yeah, if you want to build an empire, the best thing you can have is a good work ethic. Yeah. So working with your dad, how was that? Did you were there sparks flying or Her, absolutely horrendous? It was absolutely right. horrendous. Um, I had a certain way of doing things, even though I shouldn't have. I was only a kid. Uh, but it didn't take mm-hmm. too long for me to realize that I had a different view on, on things. Um, so, um, and I decided I wanted to be a, a property guy pretty much very early on. So when I left, when I finished, I basically decided before I even finished my apprenticeship that I didn't want to be a bricklayer mm-hmm. no more. And right. I had bought a house when I was 18. Um, right. Then I bought another one when I was no, I bought a house when I was eighteen. That was the first one I bought. Then I bought a piece of land to build another house. And right. So it's kind of like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Each year I do one more deal, you know. Um, right. So you were just mortgaging up. You, you bought your house. Then there was yeah. a bit of equity in that house. And you used that to as a deposit to buy the land. Is that right? Or? Yeah. So so what happened was we we got the first house. Um, mm-hmm. very small mortgage, very small deposit, eight percent. 8% uh, deposit was needed at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, then the way it worked... And when you say we, was it you or was it was you me. and someone else? Me, yeah, me. Was you? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So what happened then was the next house... Now, I, I'm, I'm working from memory here. The next deal, I couldn't get a 92% mortgage again. So I think it was down to 80% or something like that. Mm-hmm. But what I found out was that the bank would give you 80% of a site cost... And they would give you 100% of the construction cost. So okay. I needed to have 20% of the full purchase price of the house to do with a second deal. Or mm-hmm. I just needed to have 20% of the site cost. And I'd get the I'd get all of the build money from the bank then. So that was pretty okay. much my my vehicle for a couple of transactions. Because my, yeah. my uh, barriers to entry were quite low. And... Um, yeah. You know, really, then the the cost of the construction of the property was kind of subjective, if that makes sense. That yeah, even if the bank said it was going to cost a hundred grand, I could probably do a little bit cheaper because I was doing all the work yeah. myself, and then that yeah. allowed me the deposit to move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah, and when you say you were doing all the work yourself at this stage, had you made a bit of contact with electricians, with plumbers? Had you mates who were in the area or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when like, you say, would you have done all the work yourself? Yeah, like I, I was overseeing it as, as such. You know, like there was no contractor. Yeah. I was the contractor. You know, anything yeah. that involved a bit of mulligan or manual labour, yeah. that was me. It Obviously, is. you wouldn't be doing yeah. your sparking and your plumbing, but the likes yeah. of you know when you're building a one-off house, site clearance, driving the digger, digging foundations, uh, pouring concrete. Um, funny enough, I didn't ever lay the blocks on any of the of the houses because it just didn't make sense to me. Because yeah, we can take yeah. in a crew of block layers for a smaller amount of money than what you could mm-hmm. make elsewhere. Um, but doing mm-hmm. all the the general, you know, groundwork, stud partitions, plasterboards, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it was myself and we had a couple of we had a crew of a couple of lads. 
uh, friends at, at the time. Um, and we done that, and we, we maybe built four or five houses over the course of a couple of years, and that right. brought me on to the next level then again, you know. Right, so that must have, you must have felt a bit like you were the man to do at the time, because that's pretty unusual to be a contractor and developing your empire, and you're only, what, 20, 22 at this stage. It must have been exciting. Uh, you know, I was just... Or exhausting. Uh, no, look, I see, I knew no better, you know. I was just, yeah. I was viewing the building of these houses as the only obstacle that stood in the way of me being able to collect rent from them. So I was very, nice. I was very impatient. <laughs> um, looking back now, I should have probably tried to enjoy it a bit more, but I was completely impatient. I can remember yeah. actually going into a house. Um, what we actually progressed then further was we found that if you are buying a house with a piece of land on the side, it was easy enough to get a mortgage on that as well. And so we bought this big old house and myself and one of the lads are one day, the very first day we're on site, I'm like, I can't wait till this is finished. And he's like, will you relax? We're only literally in the door. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, nice. and, you know, and I literally walked round the clock seven days a week to get the properties refurbed and, and to get them tenanted as quick as possible, you know, because we're, we're, you know, as a, as an aspiring, as an aspiring property investor, I was chasing the rent roll. Right. Chasing yeah, the, that the, makes sense. the rent. That's what it is. So everything else that got in the way of collecting rent was just a distraction, to be honest. So what would you say was motivating you? Like you were surely in a hurry and you were super efficient and you were getting it all done. I'm just interested in what was the buzz for you? Just, just want to get rich. Accumulating assets and just get, get rich. Just okay. want to get rich. You know, there's nobody, yeah. nobody I grew up with or in my family or anything like that had acquired any level of wealth. And I was just, um, I was, why, do, why am I even saying was? I am a man on a mission. Yeah. So will you know when you've arrived? Will you ever arrive, do you think? Or is it just going to, is it more and more? Right now the target's 100 million. I'm, 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 a, right. I'm, a, I'm a good bit off that now, to be honest. But, yeah. you know, we may as well have the highest target we can, we can uh, yeah. go after, you know. Um, and I've got a little kind of concept of, as to the way I believe, like, wealth creation works, you know. Um, you know like, for, for example, right, I know, I know he gets mm -hmm. a lot of bad press at times, but if you, if you look at what Conor McGregor done, he put out there he wanted to get 100 million quid and he managed to go out and get it pretty much, you know, in, in one or two fell swoops. Whereas for me, yeah. I don't pursue big deals. I do multiples of small deals. I do lots yeah. and lots of small deals. And that's what works for me. So my kind of concept of wealth creation is we go up in layers. You know, we go right. up in layers um, yeah. and we tick the box and then we go on to the next layer. And you won't move on to the next layer if you don't drop some of the practices and habits that you had from the previous layer, if that makes sense. you know? Okay. Yeah, I do understand. I mean, that is kind of a block by block approach rather than a, a huge project approach. It's a small yes. project by project. Yeah, I can understand that. And um, Joe, I've looked at a lot of your videos and I have to say I'm, I'm super impressed by your energy and Thank your, you. <laughs> just the, the way you get to the heart of the matter. But I want to, I feel like anyone who's listening today, nearly everyone in the property world or who's thinking about property has the next project in mind, whether there's someone wanting to buy a house or downsize or buy a second house or do up their own house. They've got something in mind and there's some obstacle that they need to overcome. And I think that you are a great person at overcoming obstacles. And I'd love you just to talk a bit about the time post-boom when things were falling apart for pretty well anyone who had an interest in property. And you you displayed some serious mind, um, strength of mind, I suppose, to get yourself through it. Can you talk us through that? Because the, 
the thinking that got you through your own, that resolved your property issues after the boom, is going to be the same kind of thing that people might find useful to resolve whatever issues on their plate right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so what what had happened with me, right, was that mm-hmm. um, I started buying a, a house, buying a bit of land, to build a house, buy another bit of land, build another house, uh, then buy a house with a bit of land, and then build a new mm-hmm. house, and all that sort of stuff, right? Then the prices start getting more expensive, and I just couldn't seem to make sense of them. So mm-hmm. I'd stop doing deals, and I set up a building company where we're doing we are specialising in insurance claims, and I had stopped maybe three deals too late when I stopped and then then the crash happened and the banks wanted all their money back and I had no money you know um yeah I can remember like I was 23 years old and I didn't even know what a statement of affairs was or I didn't know what a statement of net worth was until I was asked to do one and it turned out that if I cashed in at 23 I was left with two million quid I'm like wow that's not bad you know um not bad for my first five years work you know and yeah. by the time I was 27 years old, everything was gone. And they wanted, the banks wanted blood as well off me, you know. So, so can, Joe, can I just stop you there? For anyone yeah. who hasn't lived through this uh, terrible time, yeah. like they might be thinking, well, Joe bought zillions of houses. How come he has no money? But the, the issue is that you've got, let's just say for argument's sake, you have 100 houses, but they're all borrowed. And now the value has fallen below the amount you owe on them. That's why... You're yeah. Broke. Now I'll just I'll just tell yeah. you the the level we were at. We weren't at a hundred houses or anything like that. Okay. Nothing yeah. like that. No, we were at we no. were at like ten, twelve properties. Yeah. And then the, and then the crash happened. So just in case yeah. anybody thinks it's yeah. It's out there. No, no, indeed. I, I was only t- picking an arbitrary number to make right. it not simple, but yeah, fair enough. Okay, thanks for clarifying. So there you are. The banks are. You were notionally worth two million on paper, and yes. now you're not. Yes. You're worth probably minus, minus on paper, minus, like many property yeah. investors at the time. Yeah, exactly. So the, the problem so, that we had there was that like, it was just like gambling. I was taking yeah. the the money that I won on the first race and putting yeah. it all on the second one and then putting it all on the third one and eventually one of these horses went, were, were going to not come in. And that's yeah. what happened. So as I was taking the money, I was just remortgaging, putting it back in, putting it back in to the next one, the next one, and then the whole pack of cards fell. Yeah, yeah, for for many, and yes. um, but that's a difficult time. A, a character so, building time it was, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And there's still lots of people who aren't out of it yet because for Ireland is unique in letting um these things drag on for a long time. Sure. So I'd say many people who are listening might be in a similar position to the one you were in back then. Yeah. So what did you see as your options and, and what gave you the oomph to get through them, to get through the obstacles? It was actually quite an unusual kind of scenario that had happened because mm-hmm. um, I, I had a try, like I, I owed the money to four different banks and mm-hmm. I was trying to negotiate one at a time and mm-hmm. I was leaving the banks that were owed the lesser amount of money till the end. And it got more stressful the closer I got to the end because I realized that if one of the lesser banks, one of the banks were out the lesser amount of money, didn't agree, all the previous mm-hmm. work I'd done to try and restructure, dispose of assets and, and renegotiate, um, it was all in vain. Um, okay, because one bank had the power to veto. If yeah. all creditors weren't in agreement, no creditor could make the agreement. Is that it? Yeah, no, we didn't. We didn't go into an insolvency arrangement where that would have mm-hmm. been the case. But we were we mm-hmm. were negotiating one bank at a time, mm-hmm. and if one bank 
wanted more than what was available, it just wasn't going to work. And yeah. I would have ended up being bankrupt. The real yeah. thing that was stopping me going bankrupt, and this is a, a kind yeah. of a crazy thing to, to say, like, but this this is yeah. my life, you know, was mm-hmm. that, you know, I grew up in Clondalkin and a lot of people that I went to school with, you know, they, they end up on the wrong side of the fence, you know, and, you know, people got into trouble, went, went to jail and all right. that sort of stuff, you know. Okay. And I decided I was going to be a property guy. I was going to be, you know, a, a good, successful, legit businessman, you know. And mm-hmm. I've seen these people, you know, that I'd gone to school with, um, getting taken away from their families because of the, the, the mistakes they made. And they were, they were going to jail, you know. And then I was yeah. thinking, hold on a minute. If I go bankrupt, I need to go to England because there's 12 years here for a minimum of two years, two and a half years. And I'm like, sure, at that case, what what was the point? I'm going to leave my family, you know. Right. And, yeah. you know, Interesting it, it comparison. was, right. oh, listen, it's crazy, yeah. you know. But that that is what it is, you know. So I would, like, at yeah. this time, I was like, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old. Um, actually, would have been 24, 25. So this stuff was going on, and it wasn't the thoughts of going bankrupt that was actually killing me, and yeah. it wasn't the thoughts of leaving my family that was killing me. Well, I suppose mm. it was, but it was the thoughts that, mm. you know, I was no better off than anybody else that I had gone to school with type of thing was my yeah. outlook on yeah. it. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that, you know. And then right. I just, I just dug the heels in. And, you know, stayed here and just worked with them as much as I could and, and done as much as I could. And eventually things started to to free up. Um, and it was just, it didn't, it, was, it didn't take too long for things to turn around then, you know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it was literally a decision you made. It, it wasn't a change in legislation. It wasn't a, a change in circumstance. It was a change in mindset that you had, which was, I'm not doing it. Yes, exactly. A complete change mm. of mindset. And mm. and the thing is, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got literally hundreds of clients that I help with property training and business training and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I can listen to a guy talking for probably 30 seconds. And if he doesn't have that, you know, never say die mindset, like, I don't mm. care what size company he's in or what size company he wants to have, he mm. ain't going to have that, you know. Um Mm. And I just, I, I, it's something that I kind of latch on when I see in people's personalities all the time, you know. And mm. you know, people don't realise that it's these qualities that is what's helped me get to where I am. And people would have them overlooked. So if, if I got, if I, get, I could have some guy coming into me, and he could be, could have been getting shafted by a main contract, and he's owed a lot of money or whatever mm-hmm. else. And we'd be chatting mm-hmm. away, and I'm like, you see that you just said that exact comment there. That's what leads mm-hmm. me to believe that you have what it takes to succeed and he'd be like no one ever said that to me before i'm like i know because most people don't go through what us as sole traders and business owners have to go through mm-hmm. and manage to come out the other end i just think you know mindset is key for absolutely everything mm. now i think that is really fascinating because in a sense without over egging this brick or block laying analogy or bricks but yeah Sometimes when people have a problem, it seems to me you're saying that they are looking outside of themselves for the first step to the solution. But actually, what I'm hearing you say is that you yourself are the first building block of the solution. You can put yourself in as a firm basis that no matter, I don't know what I need to know, but I know the first thing is I'm going to find out. So that's step one. That is the first block laid and anything else comes on top of it. But actually, you can be the start. For your sure. own mindset can be the start. And as you're saying there, it is the start. If you can't be the start, then you're probably not going to be 
the next step or the next step. Yeah, you, you won't be able to get to it, you know. Um, what mm. I what I do believe is the right before you learn something comes mm-hmm. absolute complete and utter frustration. So mm. for any of your listeners there, if they've got a challenge going on in their business or with their investments mm-hmm. or whatever else there, right? The more frustrating that this is right now, the closer they are to the solution. Because yeah. if it's not frustrating them, they don't care enough to delve into the back of their mind and find out how they can actually deal with this. Mm. So the, you know, yes. everything you need is on the far side of frustration. Yeah, agreed. And the darkest hour is just, if you're feeling so close to giving up, you probably are just at a breakthrough point. Yeah, for sure, you know. And and if I can say one thing just on that, you know, mm. um, for, you know, again, for anybody that, that's, that's listening there, if you find yourself in your business, you know, we call it in business, and whether that's a business or, or your yeah, investment exactly, world. Exactly. Right? But with if, something you wanted to get done. Yeah. If you find yourself in the financial sense or whatever sense or whatever it is, reason, and you're saying, I want to give up here, it's got so far that I want to give up. Mm. At that point, people feel that they're, ready to give up mm-hmm. but if we if we analyze that a little bit when you feel like that when you feel i want to give up the only reason why you haven't given up at that point is because you actually really don't want to give up because if you want to give up something you just stop straight away people think mm. they want to give up but they actually don't and they have that right. they have that inside them and people feel guilty then for saying that they want to give up but the reality is, if they really wanted to give up, they would have just stopped. Mm. You know, they, it's, they, they deep down, you know, there's a couple of different layers going on in the brain there. Mm. And, you know, whether it's in their brain or whether it's in their heart, but there's something going on there that's keeping these guys firing on, you know. And the more frustrated you are with something, the closer you are to a solution. Mm, I agree with that, and I actually, I, I was driving, I think, when I was listening to your video, Don't Give Up, but it was brilliant. Yeah. I really, like, how many times can you say don't give up? But I think you actually might need to say it 50 times. <laughs> just don't give up, just stay going. But so, so let's just say you're working with people. So step yeah. one is you, you recognize in them that they are going to do it. You can hear something in their voice that says, yep, I, I am going to commit to doing this. So the next thing is, right, you make a decision, you're going to commit to it. The next, the, probably step two is you might be deciding, well, if I'm not giving up, I'm going to be doing something differently. And I think that when people resist doing something differently, it's usually because there's a fear in there. Do you find a lot of your clients are fearful or that fear is a major factor? Fear is a major factor in everything. You know, fear is probably mm-hmm. what makes me get out of bed every day before the alarm goes off. The, the fear of failure, the fear of being not not getting to where I want to be, you know, but like mm. fear and failure are our friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, they are not the enemy. They are the friend that, that wakes you up before you need to wake up because he tells you, you need to get something done because if you don't get it done, you're not going to like yourself for that, you know? So, um, I've got, you know, because I came so close to failing and I mm-hmm. then realized that it was actually the best gift that I've ever had. You know, um, myself and failure are, are we're, we're quite good mates at the minute. You know, we have a yes. we have a mutual understanding with each other. You know, um, whereas the biggest concern, the biggest threat or risk to absolutely everybody is what I would call failure by default. Yes, not doing anything. Yes, uh, agreed. But you know, this fear of failure. I'd love to talk about that for a second because 
why is everyone so scared of failing? If you, I'm sure you follow a million people online, and, and I can see that you follow Grant Cardone and loads of people, but when you listen to American people, they're big on failure. Basically, you kind of fail your way to success. Why do we give ourselves such a hard time about failing? It just shows you're making progress and you've figured out one thing that doesn't work. It's, I feel like you fail your way to success in lots of ways, don't you? Or well, you I, I, I have so far anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so why are we so scared of it then? Um, if it's okay. You know, this, this is a question that I always ask myself, you know, is it Irish people? Is it the world or whatever else? The the problem that we have there in, in that kind of comparison or that analysis is that, mm. you know, we're not comparing ourselves to American people overall. We're comparing ourselves to the American people who are in this space who are, you know, telling us not to be afraid of, of, of mm-hmm. fear. Whereas when we're, when we're in our, when we're here in Ireland and we're speaking to everybody that's not, wor- that's not worried or programmed with the entrepreneurial gene, you know, we have mm-hmm. a tendency to listen to people who aren't programmed that way. And, and that can kind of, saturated out but i i don't know why is is the straight answer um mm. but you just need to be very very careful of who you listen to and precisely listen to people who've done it maybe take advice from the people who've done what you want to do rather than from from people who don't understand what it is you're trying to do yes yes exactly only only listen to people if they've done what you want to do yeah. You know, that's, that's really, or, or only listen to people if they're trying to do what you're trying to do. Yeah. That, that, that that's what I would say at all times. Yeah. Because you know? you'll have shared learnings and shared experience then. For sure. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I was listening to a book there, an audio book the other day called The Magic of Thinking Big. I think it was yeah. wrote in the 1920s or 30s, you know. Um, yeah. Well, very early on, not sure the exact date, but, uh, your man is like saying, like, his office was full of freelance advisors. So they were people yeah. who just freelanced their way around the office, distributing advice to everybody else, <laughs> di- distributing unsolicited advice, you know. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's just that's just the way it is. You know, I, th- I think once you once you learn about, you know, who you should listen to and who you shouldn't listen to, you know, life gets a little bit easier. Actually, not even listening. I think we should listen to everybody, but we should pay attention particularly to people who have done what we are trying to do. We're on the same mission. Um, and that's just, true yeah and just because you're listening Agreed. to someone doesn't mean you need to act on what they tell you for sure and so say if we were to try and make some commandments out of today's talk conversation what i'm hearing is that step one is you've got to decide you're going to see a way through this whether it's a problem you need to solve or whether it's a vision of something you want to create the first thing is you've got to commit to yourself I, I would probably say there's one that we could, I think that's, that's, that's dead, right? But there's one that goes before that. Right. The question is, what do you want? Yep. What exactly do you want? And when do you want it, boy? Right. That's, that puts a nice frame, framework on things. Yeah. Well, right. So what do we want? Yeah. What exactly? So for, well, I'll give you an example there. So, you know, um, you know, guy, I'm, I'm having a, a, a meeting with one of my clients and, you know, say it's a guy that I haven't met before. Like, what do you want? And he, he's like, I want to have five vans on the road or I want to have 10 vans on the road. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, why do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you know, I was like, why, why, why? And he, in fact, he doesn't actually really want to have five vans on the road. He wants mm-hmm. to have the result that having five productive exactly. vans on the road. He wants the money him. in the bank that he can, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. He's focusing on the process rather than yeah, what he sure. wants from it. Yeah. yeah, and then the next thing is like, okay, when do you want to have that boy? And he'll say, you know, 
next five. I, I want to do this by the time I'm 50. I want to do this by the time I'm 40. Like, the problem with a five-year plan or the problem with a 10-year plan is that it's going to take five years or 10 years to fail. Mm-hmm. So straight away what we do is we look at a 30-day plan. What are we going to do <laughs> in 30 days, right? And you right. Know, if, if you come into my office and I'm, I'm working with yourself, Brefie, let's just say you've got mm-hmm. three plumbers mm-hmm. working for you or whatever else there, right? Mm-hmm. I want to leave you in a state that when you're, when our meeting is finished, you've pretty mm-hmm. much got 30 minutes to start taking action on that plan. Otherwise, the time frame is going to be too short. People, 30 minutes or 30 days? 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, Brefney, oh. there's the plan. You're going to need to get going on that right now. Because if right. you, if I, if I don't get you to take action within, within 60 minutes of leaving my office, what's going to happen? Yeah. The phone is going to ring. You're going to get called out to do this. You know, the, right. the goldfish is going to need to be brought to the vet. This is going to happen. Yep. All these incidental things get in. So when I'm dealing with people, we literally, you know, you know, guys, guys ring me just to talk to me about stuff. And they're like, listen, Joe, I'd really like to hurry. I'm like, okay, do you want to hurry me now? And they're like, well, you know, we'll talk about what, what service we provide. I'm like, do not, do not allow, do not pay me. Do not hurry me. Do not engage me now if you're not ready to start right now. And right. then they're like, okay, I'm ready to go. And then, and you know, and what we do is we go after short, quick wins. So what happens is these guys, you know, they've took a bit of a knock or whatever else, or they're making some good money and they want to go up to the next level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're fearful and the confidence is shook. They're happy in their comfort zone. They're making whatever amount mm-hmm. of money they want to make, but they want to go on to the next level. And the only mm-hmm. way, the only way to deal with a lack of confidence is to take action. Yeah, you know, and if Agreed. I can, you know, if I can talk to a client and I can say, if you do this now, you're going to get that result in the next 12, 24 hours. If he does that, mm-hmm. and I go, you know, I, I was just sharing some messages there with my clients the other day that uh, one of my clients, he, you know, he had his best week ever within his first week of dealing with me, you know. So Great. he he's now a hundred percent sold on anything that I have to tell him, even though it contradicts the way he used to run his business before then. Right. You know, but we get short, quick wins. So we go for 30 days, then we get the confidence built up, then we go for 90 days, and then after that, then we go on to a yearly plan, you know? Right. And also, it's a good, from your point of view, you can quickly see in 30 days, is this going to work? If they don't take action in 30 days, it's unlikely they're going to take it in 90 or so. From yes. your point of view, too, it can help you screen who's going to work for you as a coach because. There's yeah. no point coaching people if they're not taking action. Yeah, the pro- one of the problems that I found, and one of, one of the things that I learned, should I say, was that, yeah, okay, one of the biggest mistakes I made when I, I started this coaching business was that I just assumed that if I showed everybody how to do exactly what I've done, they would get the exact same results I've got. Yeah. And, you know, it took me a little bit of time to learn that that's not the case because people are not as motivated or they don't want things as much as they say they want them. They don't want to get the results as much as they say or as much as they believe that they want. Or perhaps they don't want to take, they're scared of taking the action. They don't want the rejection that they might have to go through to get what you want because presumably you experienced a fair amount of people saying no to you along the way, but you just kept your eye on the prize and kept going. Yeah, to to the point where I always say to people, the first three drafts are for the bin. So if you're going to write anything or do anything or even make a call to anything, the first three drafts are for the bin. So when you write something out, be prepared to write it out four times. First three go in the bin. If you want to speak to somebody, be prepared to ring them at least four times because the first three times you ain't going to get anywhere, you know? Okay, so to some extent you're kind of building failure into the action steps so that they don't get totally disheartened when they start. 
Oh, for sure, yeah, exactly. 100%. 100%, you know. I've actually got a little uh, case study that I'm going to do there in the next couple of days. So right now in yeah. my office, I've got two, I've got two prizes here. I've got a, I've got a cordless screw gun and I've got a Samsung Galaxy tablet. So I said, uh, this would be an, an excellent little, uh, experiment. So yeah. I said, guys, listen, there's 200 and odd people here, um, in my, in my, uh, clients Facebook group. I says, I need a testimonial from, uh, from anybody who wants to give me a testimonial, and in return, I will give you an opportunity to win this. Uh, you can mm-hmm. pick between a screw gun, or you can pick between a, a Samsung Galaxy tablet. Two decent prizes, you know, because tradesmen yeah. love tools, you know. And you would not believe the amount of times I had to follow up with these guys, who are my clients, who are buddies. They love me. They make more money directly as a result of working with me. But the amount of times I had to follow up with all these guys to get them to send me in the testimonials. And we got them in in the end. But right. if I was to, I, and I don't know the exact number now, but if I add up the amount of interactions I had with these guys to get that often where you're following with text, hey, can you send me that video? Hey, can you send me that video? And they're, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just busy here. Just this, this, this. And they're sending it back on. There was literally hundreds of interactions just to get what should have been a straightforward process completed. And there's an excellent lesson in that for all of the guys in my group as well, when I show them the amount mm-hmm. of times that I had to, uh, now they'll all be like, I'm sorry, Joe, was just, this was going mm-hmm. on. I don't I'm like, listen, man, it's, it's, it doesn't make a difference how many times I had to ask you. It just goes to show that I had to ask a number of times, but I got there in the end. So don't be giving yeah. out to me or don't be giving out to yourself or don't be giving out about the client when they don't take your call because you've rang them twice. Yeah. You have to keep going till you get the result. Yeah, and don't take it personally either. It may don't don't make up any story about what it is they're thinking about you if they don't phone you back. It just could be that they're as distracted as yeah as you can be sometimes. One hundred percent. Yeah, you're 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 bang on there. Yeah, yeah. We're we're on the same wavelength here, Brefni. For sure. And Joe, just just on your um testimonial uh recruitment drive there, <laughs> did you put a time frame on it? Did you tell people that they'd be in with a chance to win if they got it to you by a certain time frame? No, I didn't. And and that's uh-huh. probably where I went to miss on that there, yeah. So I've learned my ah. lesson, you know. Okay. Well, listen, Joe, I'd love to say thank you so much for talking to us today. I think what I've learned is figure out what it is you want to do, figure out why you want to do it, when you want to get it done by, what action you can take in the next 30 minutes or 60 minutes, give yeah. yourself small goals for 30 days, and be prepared to fail, but don't waver. Just keep your eye on the thing you want to get done. Exactly. Keep your eye on the results. Yeah, great. Listen, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. And if anyone wants to follow up with you or be coached by you, you're joedoyle.ie, J-O-E, doyle.ie. The best way to catch me is on Facebook. Yeah, okay. I pretty much live on Facebook, Joe Doyle Entrepreneur. You can catch me through my website as well, but I'm on Facebook, you know, at least 24 hours a day at Joe Doyle Entrepreneur. (laughs) Brilliant, Joe. Okay, Brett, it's a pleasure talking today. today. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. You Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to book that coaching session with me, just click on the link in the show notes. Or if you'd like to find out more about the buyer's agent service I offer, click on my website link in the show notes. And best of luck with taking your next step towards a new home in Ireland.